0: i producer and host of Alternative Radio. You're listening to CJSW, 90.9 FM in Calgary.
1: There's joy in trying to engage in Socratic quests for truth and prophetic quests for justice. This is a way of being in the world we choose. And we will always be unpopular in many contexts because it's not about popularity. Integrity has never been highly popular. Courage has never been highly popular. You do it because you connect with others trying to be a force for good. That's what it's all about. Thank you all so very much. Stay strong in what you're doing here. That's Cornell West. And this is Alternative Radio.
0: I'm David Barsamian. This edition of AR features Cornell West on the Socratic prophetic traditions. How do you straighten your back up? How do you tell the truth? How do you bear witness? How do you organize? How do you mobilize? How do you generate forms of resistance and resiliency in the face of some very, very ugly forms of terror and trauma and stigma? activist scholar Cornel West asks these fundamental questions and he takes inspiration and guidance from the prophetic tradition of ideas and images that have historically helped oppressed people develop the will and the means for taking action against their oppressors. Wedding that tradition with the Socratic legacy of ancient Greece of seeking the truth by challenging assumptions and raising the most difficult questions is a powerful formula for achieving freedom and emancipation. Our guest today is Cornell West. He's professor of the practice of public philosophy at Harvard. He's been called the preeminent African-American intellectual of his generation. With his preacher-like cadences and passionate delivery, He's much in demand as a speaker. Among his many books are Race Matters, The Rich and the Rest of Us, and Black Prophetic Fire. He spoke at the University of Montana in Missoula in late August 2019. And now, Cornel West.
1: I want to say something that so unsettles you. You say, my God. I've got to reevaluate who I am and what I'm doing in my short life. I say, Especially for the young brothers and sisters of all colors and sexual orientations. And all cultures. And yes, all national identities. Because we live in a grim moment. It's a sad moment. But it's a moment where we can engage in significant bounce back if in fact we are clear enough in our thinking, courageous enough in our action, and humble enough in our attempt to situate and locate ourselves in a tradition. So before we even talk about the fight of the soul of America, the nation, we must begin with ourselves. What kinds of human beings will we choose to be in our short time from mama's womb to tomb? And I begin with myself. I don't begin with my name-calling a finger-pointing yet. <laughs> I begin with the name-calling and finger-pointing inside of me, the Civil War taking place inside of me. On the battlefield of my own soul, and I have a notion of what I call revolutionary piety. Because piety is not uncritical deference to authority. It's not blind obedience to the elders. Piety is the acknowledgement of the sources of good in our life that constitute the win at our back in our attempt to live lives of integrity, honesty, and decency, (laughs) critical historical situating. There's a wonderful phrase in the great Gilbert Keith Chesterton's text on orthodoxy, published September, 1908, where he talks about this sublime dependence tied to great gratitude and when you're tied to gratitude on the one hand and dependence on the other it gives your ego less space to operate inside of your heart mind and soul and this is very important in our market-driven celebrity-centered culture where people primarily are concerned about being the next spectacle, the next image, the next exemplar of success that reinforces the egoism and a narcissism. No. We begin with revolutionary piety. John Dewey, understood. he called it natural piety. Talking about family, talking about community, talking about friends. So how then do you attempt to Find your sense of who you are and allow yourself to breathe freely, think critically, but recognize that you're always dependent on those who came before. Now, in my case, in terms of my own soul formation, as it connects to the, to the soul of America, and not just the nation, we've got to be Global. We're talking about our fellow human beings all around the world, every corner of the globe, given the ecological catastrophe that's impending. But for me, coming out of a tradition of black people in the United States who three days ago and 400 years ago, the slave ship just landed. So it's a history of, Barbaric terrorism. Two hundred and forty-four years of white supremacist slavery. Another one hundred years of American terrorism called Jim and Jane Crow. And every two and a half days, some black child, a woman, a man, hanging from some tree, the strange fruit that southern trees bear, that the great Billie Holiday sang about with such power, and our Jewish brother Maripol writing the lyrics. And then, to this day, as my brother Seth reminded me. Fifty-six years ago, our dear brother Martin Luther King, Jr. told America about a dream he had. Same tradition, but in the face of 400 years of terrorism, you get Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, and their message is what? We don't want to terrorize other people. We want freedom for everybody. (laughs) Moral scope. Spiritual content. Beginning with particularity, but always connecting it to an embrace of others. 400 years of institutional and chronic hatred being hated for skin pigmentation, hated for hair texture, for sizes of noses and lips and hips and so forth and so on, the vicious legacy of white supremacy. In the face of that kind of hatred, what do you get? A refusal to create black versions of the Ku Klux Klan. A refusal to create black versions of counter terrorist cells no here comes don Coltrane. A love supreme i could just play a love supreme and step back and let all of that deep love of truth and beauty and god soak through your very soul and mind and heart and body well i could put on a little marvin Gaye. what's going on Every note, every nook and cranny, every silence between the note, talking about love thy neighbor. Oh, indeed, indeed, I can put on a little Stevie Wonder, love in need of love. I could put on James Baldwin's essays, love-soaked essays. Love forces us to take off the mask. We know we cannot live within, but fear we cannot live without. Where does that kind of wisdom and courage come from? It comes from traditions at their best that are shaping and molding particular human beings like us. Each and every one of you come out of communities and traditions that has the best. When I come to the University of Montana, I think of my dear sister Jeanette Pickering-Rankin. Oh, you all know who she was. She's one of the greatest freedom fighters of the early part of the 20th century. Not just because she's the first woman elected to federal level. Not just because she was a congressman twice from Montana. 1902 graduate of University of Montana. Just nine years after the founding of the institution itself. Jeanette Pickering Rand can let us never forget her example. She embodies what I'm talking about, what it means to take seriously the kind of soul craft connected to state craft with a global perspective, but rooted in the best of what went into who and what she was. And what is it that I'm talking about in part? Well, first, it has much to do with the Socratic legacy of Athens. Because the Socratic legacy of Athens is a serious and at times subversive affair. That line 38A of Plato's Apology. The unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not a life for the human. And the implication is what? The examined life is painful. You're going to be unsettled, unnerved, unhoused. You have to be willing to reach the point that maybe at particular moments, your view of the world rests on pudding. (laughs) And students at University of Montana, I want you to have those moments in which you look down and say, lo and behold, what I thought was right turns out not to be right because critical self-reflection and critical interrogation leads me somewhere else. That's, that's called education. That's called education. You can come in with male supremacist sensibilities. Oh, we men are so brilliant and smart and the women are behind. And then there's sister Sally. And Sister Shanique was sitting next to you, and you look over, and they've got A-pluses, and you got B-minuses. You say, hmm, somebody told me a lie. (laughs) Male supremacy is a lie when it comes to intelligence and imagination and genius. (laughs) Same is true with white supremacy. And it has everything to do with what I tell my students every time they come in my class. said you have entered this classroom to learn how to die <laughs> I thought I was just gonna get a good grade in philosophy so I can move on in my program no no it's not, it's not no 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 nope, you're gonna learn how to die in order to learn how to live Plato says Philosophy, love of wisdom, philosophia, Sophia. Through the mouse please of Socrates is a meditation on a preparation for death, not just physical death, but the process of calling certain assumptions and presuppositions that you have into question. And when you let some of those assumptions go, that's a form of death. You come in with your prejudices and your prejudgments. And when you let some of those prejudices and prejudgments go, that's a form of death. Seneca himself says in that 26th letter to Lacis, and Seneca being Roman, Romans aren't associated with deep philosophical reflection. They were running an empire, you all know that. <laughs> Very similar to we Americans. The Seneca said, He or she who learns how to die unlearns slavery. Mental bondage, intellectual bondage, ideological bondage. And all of us must engage in. Endless Socratic reflection because no one of us are pure and pristine in terms of the kinds of deposits that have been laid on our own souls that are political, historical, ideological, and yes, even religious. And that Socratic legacy of Athens is then wedded to a prophetic legacy of Jerusalem. So that the learning how to die in order to learn how to live is not just a matter of critical interrogation, not just a matter of intellectual reflection, but it's also a matter of how you're going to act in the world. What cost are you willing to pay? What risk are you willing to make? And never forget, and again, this is especially so for our young brothers and sisters of all colors, Socrates. Never cries. He never sheds a tear. And that says something. That says a lot. Because anybody who has lived a life and never shed a tear has never really loved another person. You might love wisdom in the abstract, but when it comes to deep attachment, When it comes to the magnanimity of surrender to another person or even an ideal and someone is lost, someone is betrayed, tears will flow. When you are at the funeral with your mama in that coffin and you are not shedding a tear inside or outside, where is indeed the profound love? That's the fundamental difference of the prophetic legacy of Jerusalem. That our precious Jewish brothers and sisters in writing that Hebrew scripture say life actually begins with tears. And to be human is to spread hesed, loving kindness to the orphan, the widow, the weak, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the poor, the prisoner, the subordinated, the dominated. That's a whole moral revolution in the species in terms of conceptions of how we are to achieve the highest levels of our humanity. The great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Hesher used to say, indifference to evil is more insidious than evil itself. It creates ways of being in the world. It creates cultures. Modes of existence turn their backs on people suffering, scapegoats, people suffering. They could be immigrants at the border, they could be poor people, they could be brown, they could be black, they could be our indigenous people, and we stand on their land this very moment in light of the history of imperial expansion going back 400 years. They don't have to be in the room for us to be sensitive to their suffering. And it is a global affair. The drones being dropped in Pakistan and Afghanistan and Libya and Somalia and Yemen. Those children, those innocent civilians have exactly the same status as human beings in the United States. That's the legacy, the prophetic legacy of Jerusalem. That's what makes it so difficult. And when you bring together the Socratic legacy of Athens with the questioning, the willingness in intellectual humility, but also intellectual tenacity to raise the most difficult questions that no one really wants to come to terms with, but sooner or later they must. And then the love, not just love of wisdom, but love of stranger, Leviticus 19, love of neighbor, Jesus, love of neighbor and enemy. Yeah, that love of enemy, it gets you in a lot of trouble, whole lot of trouble. I get in a lot of trouble a lot of times when I call Trump my brother. They say, Brother West, you better get off the crack pipe. You know he's not your brother. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, he's my brother. He's made an image of God. He just chooses to be a gangster. (laughs) It's a choice. I was a gangster before I met Jesus. I'm just a redeemed sinner with gangster proclivities right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not calling him a name. I'm talking about something inside of me. The white supremacy in him. He's yet to fully conquer it. I'm working on it. The male supremacy in him, the imperial identity in him, the coldness, the callousness, the indifference. But you know what? Donald Trump is not to be fetishized as some individual. And if we extricate him, somehow America is going to be all right. He's expressing something very deep in the history of this nation, something deep in the history of the modern world. He's not all by himself. So, the last thing you want is this kind of neoliberal self righteousness. Oh my God, I can't believe in America anymore because Donald Trump is president. What do you think America was like before he was president? Oh, Brother West, Brother West, we had a black president. It was so much better. Well, yes, indeed. Ah, we like Barack and so forth. But he's tied to Wall Street. He still didn't talk about wealth inequality. He didn't hit the new Jim Crow. He still got drones dropping bombs on innocent folk. He's still assassin. Oh, what you talking about? Let's talk about system. Let's talk about structure. Let's talk about institutional practices. This is not about some isolated individual. Get off your neoliberal high horse get off let's talk honestly about the history people talk these days about oh we get rid of trump and go back to the obama years that's the golden age that's your golden age now of course he's much more brilliant he's poised he's sophisticated he was the black face of the american empire now we got a know nothing white face of the american empire yes there's a difference i don't downplay that Not at all, but even when there's a difference, if you're Socratic, which is to say, committed to intellectual questioning like the Socratic legacy tells us to do, and the prophetic legacy in which you're gonna allow your compassion, your empathy, your love to be all-embracing so that you really, really believe that a precious baby in Guatemala, and Ethiopia, and Gaza, and Tel Aviv, and Chicago, and Mazzola have exactly the same value and significance. It means you're going to have a very different kind of lens through which you view the world as we come to terms with the fight for the soul of America, given the dominant discourse of our day. And one of the sad features of our moment is that it's just so difficult for some of the great examples of vision and courage and compassion to gain a spotlight because with our market-driven celebrity-centered culture, which is all about spectacle and image. And look at me, look at me, look at me. And the whole cult of success. I experience this at Harvard all the time. And I, I insist on teaching freshman seminars. Because I just love the 18-year-olds come in with smiles. and They ready to hit the ground running. They haven't got jaded into the pre-professional culture yet. And what are you majoring in? Don't worry about it. Think about it. Think about justice, think about truth, think about beauty. Don't worry about what you major in yet. Oh, but my mama told me, I know you love it and she loves you, but you just get a chance to get Socrates for a while. (laughs) Get educated before you get shoved into some professional specialization. Find out who you are before you become that engineer. Because so many of the engineers, and we've had some great ones, Ludwig Wittgenstein and Norman Mailer, were engineering majors, so we don't want to... Trash engineering, but this worship of STEM, you know. What are you majoring in? Art history. Ooh, I'm so sorry for you. You end up broke as the Ten Commandments financially. No, no, we love our STEM brothers and sisters, but the important thing is we're talking about the whole person. We're talking about humanity. We're talking about what it is to live a life, what it is to learn how to love and laugh and live at the same time. And we're at a moment now where it's very clear that with the highly commodified culture that tends to fetishize either celebrities or those with high specular status, that it downplays all of those everyday people who have integrity, honesty, and decency, and feel as if they're more and more helpless and hopeless, and feeling as if they have no impact on shaping their destinies. That's the sadness of it all. And that's how democracies run out of gas. That's why democracies are so rare in human history. That is a distinctive aspiration of the democratic experiment called the USA against the backdrop of imperial subordination of indigenous peoples, enslaved Africans, domestic households of women, marginalizing precious gays and lesbians and trans folk. But it was a democratic aspiration. It is a noble aspiration, even given those background traditions, because Conditions because it means in fact that those sly stone called everyday people can lift their voices just like the anthem of black people. Lift every voice and sing. It doesn't say lift every echo, does it? Because you can't find your voice until you wrestle with the Socratic legacy and the prophetic legacy and recognize it just like your fingerprint. There's a voice inside of you that is distinctively your own, but you'll be able to find that voice only when you bounce it off the voices of the dead. I want to be a poet. You got to read some Shakespeare and Marion Moore and Gwendolyn Brooks to know what it is to be a poet. I can do it by myself. No, no, you must be American obsessed with the new and the novel, thinking there's no tradition, you just create an impoverished tradition of the new. Oh, I'm self-made. No you're not. You didn't give birth to yourself. <laughs> didn't teach yourself language. You're not self-made. Take that American myth and shove it. Shove it. Peter Pan mentality. And that's what we're dealing with in the present, fighting for the soul. The American democratic experiment against the backdrop of the imperial conditions of slavery, of class subordination has grown rich. It has grown powerful. The most powerful empire in the history of the world. One of the grand efforts to sustain a democratic experiment at the same time but it has yet to grow up. That's Peter Pan. (laughs) Scared to grow up. Because what happens when you grow up? When you grow up, you're going to have to first have a respect for reality. No denial. It's no accident the U.S. Constitution has no reference to the institution of slavery. That's called denial. 22% of the inhabitants of the 13 colonies enslaved their labor as a basis for the wealth which is the precondition of the democracy in addition to the land dispossessed and the precious indigenous people's bodies violated. What happens when you deny reality? Chickens come home to roost. You're going to end up fighting the most barbaric of modern civil wars over an institution not invoked in your constitution. Same is true in terms of Maturation. How do you mature? Well, you, you learn how to die. Namely what? White supremacy must die. Male supremacy must die. Class subordination must die. Forms of marginalizing gays. This is not PC chit-chat. We got right-wing brothers and sisters. Oh, Brother West, you just using that PC language. I'm tired of that PC language. I feel discriminated against. I feel victimized. No, no, I'm just pursuing the truth. Now, I don't want to discriminate you and hurt your feelings, but let me tell you something. If the truth, and the condition of truth is always to allow suffering to speak across the board, if the truth forces you to be unsettled and have to critically examine yourself, that's not being offensive. That's mean that your conception of truth is too truncated, it's too narrow. You've accepted narratives about yourself and your community and your people that does not sustain itself in the face of truths and facts, you see. It's true.
0: You're listening to Cornell West on the Socratic Prophetic Traditions. This is Independent Alternative Radio. You can order copies of this program by calling one 800 1977 that's one 800 Or you can order online on our website, alternativeradio.org. That's alternativeradio.org.
1: It's true. And it's not a matter of being arrogant. You know, People ask me why I go on Fox News all the time Because it's so hard to get some sound bites in And am I helping the right wing And so forth I said no, no, I'm a jazz man I believe in being an improvisation I don't go to any context And come in with whatever integrity i in it And try to leave it without it Because I want to communicate with everybody Communicate across the board I want folks to hear Different narratives, different interpretations And different lens Through which they look at the world no one of us have a monopoly on truth, but it is the case. One out of two of our precious children under six years old live in utter, utter, utter poverty in the richest nation of the world. That is morally obscene. That is spiritually empty. It has no integrity. It has no decency. There's no way anybody could justify that level of social misery among folk who don't even get a chance to choose. And the same would be true if that were the case with the elderly. If it wasn't for our social movements in the 60s to ensure that the elderly gain access to health care, they would still be overwhelmingly taken advantage of. Social movements are simply Attempts of everyday people, not just based on interest, but based on principle. When the great W. B. Du Bois raised the questions, he says, how shall integrity face oppression? What does honesty do in the face of deception? What does decency do in the face of insult? What does virtue, especially courage, do in the face of brute force? Those are questions of morality, and I'd say spirituality. They just are not functions of interest. So anytime you talk about white supremacy, there's no such thing as white supremacy without some people resisting, fighting, pushing back internally to white supremacy inside us. And that's true for black people, too. You don't have to have vanilla brothers and sisters around to see white supremacy. All you got to do is look in the souls of black people, because it's there. It's been implanted deeply, just like male supremacy's inside of the souls of women. You got to fight it, push it back. It's a lie. Confidence, recognize that they've you tried to socialize you in such a way. Same is true for our Jewish brothers and sisters, given the vicious history of anti-Jewish hatred. And especially these days, we got to talk about our precious Muslim brothers and sisters. And yes, we've got to talk about our precious Palestinians under Israeli occupation. Oh, yes. And they say, oh, but Brother West... That makes you anti-American, anti- No, no, I'm anti-injustice in America. I'm anti-injustice in Israel. I'm anti-injustice in China. I'm anti-injustice in India. I support Kashmir. I support Tibet. I support anybody who's struggling. It's an issue of the morality and the spirituality of the situation. That's a matter of moral consistency, what the great Jane Austen called constancy. She may have confined herself to the canvas of the marriage but oh her genius is undeniable in terms of her concern about integrity honesty decency moral consistency and so we raise the question where are we now 60 cent for every dollar goes to the military industrial complex Seven wars taking place right now. No talk about it. No talk about it. Rendered invisible. Corporate media fits right in. Comes the money, for indecent housing, comes the money for decrepit school systems, especially in our rural poor communities, urban poor communities. We don't have the money, but all oh, when it comes to war, we always find it. And here we are now. Top three individuals in the country have wealth equivalent to half of the population. That's three individuals versus 160 million fellow citizens. And it's tied to the oligopoly and monopoly at the top. And the six banks that now are more concentrated than they were in 2008. And what happened in 2008? Wall Street greed, Wall Street crime, insider trading, market manipulation, predatory lending, fraudulent activities led toward the collapse of the economy. Did homeowners get bailed out? No. Wall Street gets bailed out. And then for three years, they get QEI, which is interest-free loans in the trillions and trillions. I used to say during that period, oh, I wish the students could be treated like those bankers and have interest-free loans when they go to university and college. One percent of the population, when I was the age of students, We were struggling. 1% of the population was owning 22% of the wealth. Now 1% of the population owns 41% of the wealth and increasing given recent tax cuts, given the difficulty of workers coming together, engaging, collective bargaining, hoping that somehow their dignity can be affirmed, their access to resources can be procured. What are we talking about? No democratic experiment can survive when unregulated greed... Tied to it, it is deeply predatory capitalism, no doubt about that. But tied to scapegoating of the most vulnerable so people are distracted and unable to see the operations of power that are producing the levels of social misery that are spiritually obscene and morally empty. We must have persons who, by example, you know the great Kant Critique of Pre-Reason, he says, the judgment we make. Have to do with the examples that we focus on and i'm not talking about role models i can't stand that phrase role models people come up to me brother west brother Mel, you just such a nice role model no 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 you got the wrong brother <laughs> i'm a flesh and blood human being with all kinds of faults and forables trying to do my best but i don't want to be a role model i don't want anybody to imitate me I'm a jazz man. I want you to find your voice. I've been trying to find my voice in endless process. I could be an exemplar who inspires, but not a role model who imitates because a role model reinforces the spectacle and image. And one of the reasons why we have grotesque inequality, one of the reasons why we have feelings of such civic impotence and powerlessness is because our media it focuses primarily on the celebrities at the top and people are supposed to live vicariously through them. They say, oh, there's this black man doing so well. We got a black billionaire. Fine. They're successful. That doesn't make them great. What are they doing with their success? They walk around like peacocks. Look at me, look at me. I'm so successful. I'm so smart. I'm so rich. I've got access to the mansions with my trophy spouses and so on. You say to yourself, Peacocks strut because they can't fly. <laughs> Don't confuse greatness with success. And that success is so ephemeral. It's not going to make you happy. It'll give you some more financial security indeed. But we're talking about the humano, human level. And there is no democratic Project. There's no expansion of a democratic project without the centrality of civic virtue, character, integrity, honesty, decency, generosity. And we see this especially in the way the arts are treated. Because when we talk about the United States, if you really want to keep track of the best of integrity, honesty, and decency, just keep track of the best of the artists. Because any serious artist who tells you all they're concerned about is spectacle and success and money, you can rest believe that they don't have a whole lot of depth and sophistication in their sound, their music, or their painting. Rembrandt. Bankrupt most successful artist 1630s bankrupt the power that be says wasting his time you don't say these days our artists the great artists past and present must become more and more the center of our focus as it relates to the raw stuff to create not sunshine Soldiers who come out just as intermittent allies on a particular issue. But all-season love warriors, all-season justice warriors, and the great artists. We could talk about Muriel Rook, Kaiser Whitman. We could talk about John Coltrane or Lorraine Hansberry. We could talk about Tony Morrison, provide us glimpses of what it is to learn how to die, in order to learn how to live, to give us some sense of what freedom really is. The Funk masters, George Clinton. The mothership is not just a metaphor. You let that funk get inside of you and you start moving in ways that surprise yourself. Because there's a freedom there. There's an acknowledgment of human connection there. That's the raw stuff of freedom fighters in the long run. Marathon freedom fighters will refuse to allow anything to get in the way of their fundamental calling as persons who are committed to integrity, honesty, and decency. And that's what we're missing these days. We need to be able to bring to the fore in this struggle for the soul of the imperial and democratic America. They are battling the white supremacists, male supremacists, homophobic, transphobic America, and the freedom fighters. Martin Luther King Jr. is as American as Donald Trump. The question is, which America will you be a part of? Cesar Chavez. We can go on and on. Edward Zaid, All of these American products. At the deepest level. But similarly so, Trump and company. You see? And the crucial thing is, don't get so shocked and surprised when you hear the xenophobic language and the nonsense and the ignorance. I mentioned this before, but this is important because I think one of the strategies of the right wing, brothers and sisters, is to say things that are so ugly that you feel as if all you have to do is just react to them. So you end up with a little loop. You see the loop on television all the time. He say something racist. He's a racist. Yeah, and the sky is blue and grass is green. You know, it don't take a whole lot of courage to say that. And people think they're just saying something so transgressive. Now, could you give a little analysis of how the racism is working? How is it distracting us away from how do we come to the support of our brothers and sisters on the border and those detention camps and the separation of those families? How do we actually take action? To our churches and mosques and synagogues and civic associations when it comes to the ways in which poor people are being pushed more and more to the margins and with the profits going up for the one percent at the top and yes electoral politics can play a role you know there's a sense in which you know you got to wear these politicians like a loose garment Because if they are not rendered accountable when they get in there, the overwhelming interest and power and influence of corporate America, of the imperial machine of of various presences all around the world, and there's some very decent folk in the U.S. Army, especially given the fact that it's voluntary. So you don't have a whole lot of folk from the upper classes in there. I remember I was speaking on... At Harvard, people were talking about, oh, this war is something we must have. why don't you send your son? I got three cousins in the army. How many cousins you got? Well, no, no, they need to spend the summer at Martha's Vineyard and uh, (laughs) enjoy themselves and get their souls together. Oh, I see. No, we're talking about something that is a challenge to each and every one of us. And it means then that when we talk about the kinds of issues that must be highlighted so that the best of the soul of America is there, be it war, be it racism, whatever it is, we go in based on a moral and spiritual criteria. So when we talk about white supremacy, we need to highlight black folk, red folk, yellow folk, brown folk, But there's a long, rich history of vanilla brothers and sisters fighting against white supremacy. And you don't have to make it up. You have to go into their lives. What was it about Miles Horton? You read his autobiography to give you an account of why that's so. White brother, Highlander Center, three months before Rosa Parks sits down on a bus in order to stand up for justice. She's there with Miles Horton, Miles Horton's wife, co-writer of We Shall Overcome. Vanilla sister, decency, honesty, courage. It's a human choice. Same is true with the brothers fighting against male supremacy. You don't show up to fight against male supremacy so that you can show the women how sensitive you are to the issues of being a woman. No, you just want to be a decent human being. You just want to be a moral person. You just want to have some spiritual integrity in your life. Standing up for our precious trans folk. Spit on, demonized, mistreated, and so forth. Moral and spiritual criteria. You are building on the best. Of what came before, of those who said this Hesit needs to be all embracing, justice all embracing, freedom all embracing. And will we win? Oh, very American question to ask. Brother West. you think we'd be able to pull it off by Friday, man? Push button solution, overnight panacea. No, this is a long distance run. That's why I want to end on a blue note. You cannot be an intellectual, Socratic, prophetic freedom fighter who gives the primacy primacy to the moral and the spiritual without being a blues person and the blues is tragic comic it's not melodramatic all the good on one side all the bad on the other no we all have multiple identities we're complicated human beings we agree with this we disagree with this we overlap here we don't overlap there that's what it is to be human you see and that's what the tragic comic's all about that's why anton chekhov is so crucial for our moment He's a tragic comic freedom fighter of the deepest sort in an imperial Russia. That's why the blues of a B.B. King and a Ma Rainey. Ralph Ellison used to say the blues ain't nothing but a narrative of catastrophe lyrically expressed. Because I come from a people on intimate terms with catastrophe. And in America, we're concerned about the problematic but never confuse the problematic with the catastrophic. There's never been a Negro problem in America. There's been catastrophes visited on black people. There's never a woman's problem in America. There's catastrophes visited on women. There's never been an indigenous people's problem in America. There's been catastrophes visited on indigenous peoples. The blues allows you to keep track of catastrophe. That generates sense of urgency and emergency. is not just a problem to, to deal with. We can solve it. We got some technical smarts. <laughs> no, there's a lot of smart Nazis and smart white supremacists. When I was there in Charlottesville, I, I ran into a lot of these smart neo-Nazi brothers who wanted to crush me and so many others. We need wise and courageous folk. Let the phones be smart. You be wise and courageous. There is a difference. There is a difference. But you're gonna have to be a blues person. BB King says, Nobody loves me but my mama, and she might be jiving too. <laughs> See, that's catastrophe. That's like Sophocles' Antigone all the forces in the world against you. But what does he do it? He does it with a smile, he does it with a magnificent sense of style. And style is not some ornament or Decoration, it comes from your heart, mind, and soul and how you wrestle with evil inside of yourself and then touch something so deep inside of your soul that's stirred so that you could touch somebody else's soul to be stirred. This is not superficial entertainment. This is soul formation. That's art at its deepest level. That's music at its deepest level. That is the blues. Bruce Springsteen understands it as a working-class vanilla brother from New Jersey. Robert Zimmerman understood it as a Jewish brother from Minnesota. It's not tied to skin pigmentation. It's tied to human depth and wrestling. And those experiences, artistic experiences of learning how to die, of being willing to give your all, I call it kenosis, to completely give of yourself, donate yourself, to completely learn how to leave nothing on the stage of life. That's the kind of spiritual raw stuff we need for political and social movements, for freedom and democracy, for poor and working people here and around the world. And without that kind of deep Socratic questioning, courageous prophetic witness, looking at where we are at present, connecting with movements around the world, the Dalit movements and Indian working movements, poor people's movements in Brazil. I can go on and on and on in terms of the kind of solidarities that we need. But if we don't do that, Then we slide down a slippery slope to chaos with fascism waiting for us. And the creeping fascism is already being manifest with massive disregard of rule of law. Wondering whether, in fact, even the next election, whether the president will believe it was a legitimate election and thereby leave as serious business, crucial business. And we have to be willing to say, in such a moment, we do not become paralyzed. We do not respond by demonizing and hating persons, but rather injustices, forms of domination. Recognize there's possibilities of coalition relative to different contexts, knowing that the possibility of anti-fascist alliances more and more become necessary, and yet still being willing to be yourself so that you can speak your mind and engage in the kind of parhesia, fearless speech frank speech, plain speech, so that you revel in the humanity of not just those who look like you or agree with you, but the humanity of other persons, most of whom are suffering, but most of whom are distracted and feeling completely powerless, dropping out of the electoral political system, dropping out of organizing, escalating suicides, Escalating homicide, escalating loneliness, escalating depression, and letting them know, just like a blues woman or a blues man, that this fight we in puts smiles on our faces. There's joy in trying to engage in Socratic quests for truth and prophetic quests for justice. This is a way of being in the world we choose. And we will always be unpopular in many contexts because it's not about popularity. Integrity has never been highly popular, courage has never been highly popular. You do it because you connect with others trying to be a force for good. That's what it's all about. Thank you all so very much. Stay strong in what you're doing here in Montana. Oh, we've got some people here of integrity, honesty, decency, not a whole lot of self-righteousness, but a whole lot of self-giving to make sure poor people, working people, can live lives of dignity and decency. you. You were just
0: listening to Cornel West on the Socratic prophetic traditions. He spoke at the University of Montana in Missoula. Cornel West is professor of the practice of public philosophy at Harvard. He's been called the preeminent African American intellectual of his generation. This program is produced by Alternative Radio based in Boulder, Colorado. We are independent and part of the nonprofit media organization Rise Up. We feature progressive voices rarely heard in the corporate media, such as Angela Davis, David Corton, Kianga Yamata Taylor. Winona LaDuke, Dodge Jamel, and Ralph Nader. And we have a series of Cornell West programs. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, alternativeradio.org. Again, our website where we are podcasting, alternativeradio.org. To place a credit card order for CDs, MP3s, or written transcripts of today's program, Cornell West on the Socratic Prophetic Traditions. Just call us at one eight hundred Triple four one nine seven seven. Again, that number is one eight hundred triple four one nine seven seven. Or you can order on our website alternative Thanks to Beth Ann Austin and special thanks to Ron Scholl of Missoula Community Access TV. Joe Ritchie is our general manager and editor. I'm David Barsamian. Thank you for listening. Well, just go to. One, two, three, four, five. We have entered. Radio space. This is a new and strange environment at first. This suddenly find yourself in orbit. Orbiting CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary.
1: Two, one, and the test. Mission contact, Hawaii contact, 100% gene and modulation, is good. Roger, Hawaii, reach you lot, it's clear also.